And actually, the father tells us who the son is. And that, that's the great dialogue in chapter one. Um, but the, the number one of the whole sermon is actually in verse one and two. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So there we have God speaking to us by his son, and he's still doing so. Now he gives us this message, but then in chapter 2, we briefly went over what it means to receive the salvation of Jesus. Um, So chapter 2, I'm in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So we discussed what that means to give earnest heed, to take care, to hold fast. Um, And so we talked about paying attention, being in fellowship, memorizing, saying it again and again, having it in the liturgy. All these are ways that we can keep God's word before us and cling fast to it. Uh, And the drifting away is like the canoe. Right? Your sin is a great river in you, and it flows daily until the last day when it is destroyed. <laughs> I agree. Um, so sin flows swiftly in us and continues until finally it is stopped on the last day. Therefore, if we are to stay in Christ... We need a rock. We need something that keeps us stable. And the only thing that does that is what? How do we get Jesus? Through the Word, right? I mean, that is it. To pay closer attention to the things you have heard. Um, okay. So, and, and again, we, we sort of discussed how we drift away, right? Um, we can come to church and not get a thing out of it because we didn't pay attention to a single word. Uh, Church will not help you by uh, having a holy pew that sanctifies your holy behind. Uh, That will do nothing for you. Uh, You must pay attention to actually hear the word. Uh, And number one means you have to stay awake, right? Uh, And again, that seems simple. But you'll notice that so many times you could stay awake for some of the most, you know, ridiculous things. But yet when you get to church, somehow you're just tired. Right? Oh, gosh, if I, if I just close my eyes. And now, of course, that's our flesh. Um, but that's also the devil who instigates that, right? He said, like, well, why don't you just, you know, come on, you know, this is the easy part of the service, right? You got 20 minutes. If you catch 10, you're good. Um, but, but it, again, it's, it's a physical reality, and, and we have to be aware of that, right? It's one way of losing our attention, of getting distracted. Uh, But the other ways are that we don't actually have fellowship. We don't read the word of God outside of church. The only time we hear God's word is in church. All those are ways that we can drift away. All right. So the word spoken through angels, and now uh, we have it given to us by the Son. So what is the word of God? It is salvation delivered to us. That's verse 1 to 4. Now we're in verse 5, and we'll continue in, uh, in our... Uh, Hebrews lesson here. So chapter 2, verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, 
in subjection to angels. But one testifies in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, namely Jesus, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. All right, so number one in verse five, what is he talking about? He has not put uh, the world, for he has not put the world to come in subjection to angels. What is that? What is the world to come? Heaven, yeah, right? Yeah, heaven. Um, but this is interesting because he calls it a world. Now, oftentimes, uh, what is, well, what is the popular vi- version of heaven? What, what is heaven to the world? Yeah, right. Clouds, cherub babies, maybe, you know. What else is heaven to the world? What? Pearly gates, yeah. There's enough jokes about St. Peter that, you know. What, what else? What else is heaven about? Baseball. That's right. The, the field of dreams. Yeah. That's true, right? Many people think that. Yeah. I would believe it's where Jesus resides with his Father. Well, yeah, and that's our vision, right? We know the truth. That's right, Tony. So, so we have the truth. Um, but again, uh, heaven in the world is also this. Bliss forever. Right? That's heaven. Um, it's also, uh, well, I'll be reunited with all the people that have gone before me, right? Um, but again, all the pictures of the world lack what Tony just said. They lack Jesus. Heaven wouldn't be much good if you had all your relatives and Jesus wasn't there. And yet, many times we get distracted. We, we think that heaven is, you know, this thing that uh, has nothing to do with Jesus. Um, so, the world to come. It's actually new heaven, new earth. And that's what we are looking forward to. Um, oftentimes, we think solely in terms of this world. But what will happen to this world? It will be destroyed at the end times. It will pass away. Jesus said all things, but what will pass away? His word, right? That's the only thing that won't pass away. So all of them will be changed like a garment. We actually read that uh, in, uh, let's see, where is it? Verse uh, 11, no, 12. And uh, so chapter 1, verse 12. Oh, sorry, starting at 11. They will perish, but you remain, and they will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. Now, notice, again, in Scripture, it interprets itself. So, in verse 5, he says, He has not put the world to come in subjection to angels, and that's what we're talking about. So, this is what he's been talking about the whole time, is that world which will remain. The the strong things, the kingdom of Christ, will be the only thing left. Um, So, who is it in subjection to? Who is the world to come subject to? Subject to. 
It's to Jesus first, right? Yeah, that's right. To Jesus first. So the world to come is in subjection to Jesus. But for a little while, right, it doesn't look that way. Uh, so th- this, is, this is becoming one of my favorite verses. Um, so uh, if you go forward to verse 8 here. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. And that's one of our biggest burdens, right? Because it doesn't look like that, Jesus. And Pastor Basie's sermon was perfect for that today. What does it look like? What does our world look Does it look like the church is triumphing? No. What is the, in the world, what is the, what is the world's view of the church? If you, were, if you were to quiz someone walking on the street who is not a Christian, what, what is their view of the church? Just sort of take your cultural um, perspective or what you hear on TV. What, what does the world think of us? Loaded with hypocrites. Yeah, right. That's the number one. Yeah, you bunch of hypocrites, right? You you say all this righteous stuff and you do none of it, right? Yeah, yeah. You guys are the you know you're old, you're outdated, uh, insignificant. We've moved on, right? Yeah, the church did some cool stuff, but then they had the crusades, and everyone hates you for that. But you know, um, so yeah, the church is just this old, worn out thing. You know, we leave it behind. Um, and statistically speaking, uh, what's happening to the church in America today? We're shrinking, right? Um, and so the world looks at us as, you know, okay, finally, you know, they're just going to go away. Uh, they're shrinking. Um, now, to be fair, that's because Christianity has been popular in America for a long time. Um, but it would be ridiculous for, for the church in Paul's day to be touting that they have a bunch of members. Why would it be so ridiculous in the day of Paul to sort of be boasting about all the members they have? It was illegal. You get killed, right? <laughs> so, so, so we, again, we, have a, we can't get caught up in the American culture. It was certainly a good thing that the church held sway so long in America, and we praise God for that. Um, and sadly, that's, that is coming to an end, um, and if, if not already at an end. Uh, if you see any, uh, any commercial on TV, uh, if there's any Christian influence left, it's, I, I don't know where it is. Um, so there is a world to come. And this is a good thing for us to see because, again, Satan is most deceptive when? When is he most deceptive for us, as, as for our flesh, for our, our sinful flesh? When is he most deceptive to us? When times are good, that one of the easiest ways to get someone to give up the faith is to give them comfort and ease. That's why I loved our prayer today, you know, so that we so that keep us from growing comfortable. Because what happens when we're comfortable? Yeah, we become complacent, and most of all, we don't want things to what. To change. No, we, if you're comfortable, you don't want things to, to change, right? It, it, you don't want it to be different than comfort, right? I, I want to be comfortable my whole life. Um, you know, that, and, and again, that's the deception, right? Well, why, why does the church like being successful so much? Well, because it's comfortable, right? 
No one's fighting you. There's no conflict. You don't have to tell the culture that, you know, they're wrong. You don't have to tell your friends they're wrong. But again, that's not the point of Christianity. Not to be comfortable. It's for the world to come. There's a world coming. This one is sinful and broken. But, but again, we, we, we want to make now heaven. And that's not true. All right, so that's the orientation we have. All this stuff is preparing you for the world to come. And it is subject to Jesus. Um, okay, so uh, in verse 8 again. For in that he put all things in subjection under him. All right, so the Father puts all things in subjection to who? Under Jesus, right? So and we, we already heard that conversation in chapter 1 where the Father is talking about the Son. But now we're getting how that applies to us. Because remember, there's sort of the Father speaking to the Son and the Son to the Father. This is great. But, you know, what about me? Now it's coming to us. And now he's saying, ah, and for you, all things are in subjection to Jesus. Okay? Um, but we don't see it yet. You're not going to see it. There is no triumphal church on earth that is going to show you that Jesus reigns because he's hidden in humility and meekness. The church will always be a suffering church. And even at its height, when the church was doing its best, what happened? When, was, when did the church have the most power? At the time of Luther, right? Right. I mean, if anything, I mean, again, the Pope was the, I mean, Pastor said it this morning, he was the most powerful person on earth. No one wielded more power than him. And Luther, you want to change that? Come on. We got the power. We got what we want. And is that what we want? No. Right? It, that, what was Luther's title for the Pope? The Antichrist. And that's still true. Now, he, he attached it to the office of the Pope. And the reason he did this is based on Matthew, where he says that the Pope is the Antichrist, or the office of the Pope is the Antichrist. Why? Because he rules in the midst of the church. Right? There are many enemies of the church. But the issue with the office of the papacy is that it has now taken the office of Christ and is now commanding that those who are for justification, for the atonement of Jesus, it's commanding that them, they, should be God. They're anathema. They're cursed and condemned. So it's, it's someone sitting in the office of Jesus saying that Jesus is irrelevant, that that's the office of the Antichrist. Um, and so it's still relevant today. The Roman Catholic Church still has the most people today. Um, it hasn't changed. We don't change our confessions uh, due to it. Um, even though there are many spirits of the Antichrist right around us that are against Jesus, right, the office is found still uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, okay, so we don't see everything in subjection. And again, it's the most painful part um, because everything's hidden. It's, it's hidden in water. It's hidden in bread. It's hidden in wine. Right? The simple stuff. It's hidden in pastors who, you know, are fallible and, and who, you know, who speak but also have their own flaws as sinners. Uh, it's, it's hidden in them. 
But, okay, so that's, that's what it, sort of what it looks like now. But we, I'm in verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering and death, crowned with, and for the suffering and death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. All right, so we don't see everything in subjection unto him. Instead, what do we see? And what is, Paul says, I desire to know nothing but what? <clears throat> what did he want to know? Christ and him crucified. This is our vision on earth. And it should never leave our eyes or minds. Um, because what, what again, our, our sinful flesh, what does it want? What do we want right now? Stuff, comfort, you know, and especially in America, what what is our? I mean, um, has anyone traveled to any impoverished countries? Yeah, have you? Where have you gone? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyone else been outside of the country to somewhere in poverty? Haiti. You been to Haiti? Yeah, I've been to Haiti. Uh, about, uh, I've been there four times now. And uh, a, fr- a good friend of mine um, is a pastor who's from Haiti. Uh, he's in the U.S. right now. But, um, but his brother is still down there. And his dad is a LCMS, well, LCMS trained pastor. They're in partnership, but they're, he's, he's a good guy. Um, so, yeah, but Haiti is, yeah, a great example. Uh, anywhere else where there is poverty stricken? Hey, yeah, right. Um. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> well, this no, it's true. It's true. I uh, yeah, and, and it, though, though it has slightly got, it's gotten a little better. Uh, it's definitely still not fully recovered. So yeah, right down the road, right? We don't have to go far. Um, so I, again, I in America we have an allure of wealth. There's a reason why when we travel, people are like, you're rich. And even if you're like, no, I'm not, you are. Compared to everyone else in the world, you are. Right? Um, and so, and, and that is dangerous because it's what our flesh wants. Right? It's exactly what we want. And so it's easy to fall asleep. This is why Jesus warns us again and again and again, don't fall asleep. Right? Because that's a greater danger. Sometimes it's much easier to face an enemy, you know, that, who's in your face. Because at least then, you know, you, you can see him. Um, okay, so we have Christ and him crucified. Um, so if, G, if, if the image of our king is being crucified, what should we expect in our lives? What should we expect? Suffering. Yes. Right? And so we, many times we forget that that is the Christian life. As a matter of fact, this is where Paul leads us in Romans, where he says, we crucify our flesh. That's, that's how we get rid of it. Now, that, it's, it's fine to say that, but what does it mean to crucify your flesh? Let, let's, let's go down the path for a second. What does that mean? How, how can you crucify your flesh? 
What do you think? Repent. Yeah, repentance is number one, right? Uh, because what, what happens in repentance? What's going on? We are admitting guilt. Yeah, yeah, you admit your guilt. And. Yeah, you have contrition. You what? Yeah, you're giving it to God, and, and, and then he's, he's destroying it, right? Uh, so, so, again, it's part of you, and you're giving it to God and saying that you don't want it, and, and therefore it's crucified. Of course, where is it crucified? In Christ, right? And, and how does the crucifixion of Jesus come to us? The word and, there, and the sacraments, right? And, and specifically, this one is baptism, right? We are buried with Christ through baptism into death. And again, it's a, it's a, we say weird things as Christians. Now, we, we hear it so often that, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, right. We've heard, we read this verse before. But it's weird to the world. It's weird to our flesh. Why is that a good thing? You say you are baptized with Christ into his death? What does that mean for you Christians? Yeah, because we got to die. That's why. You know, because our body is full of sin and it must be put to death. Because the sin in us can only be separated from us in death. So again, that work is begun. When is your baptism finished? When you die, it's complete, right? Now you got the new man, you're, you're born completely, right? Um, but now we groan. Now we don't have it, com- we, we have the gift completely. But the reason we're groaning is because our flesh, even our own flesh is not fully in subjection to God. And it has to pass away too. That's why death is necessary. Okay, so... Um, we see Jesus made lower for a little while. Um, and, and this is the greatest part, that by the grace of God, Jesus tastes death for everyone. Okay, so again, this is another way to put the atonement, that Jesus has died for you. So he's tasted death for you. Um, now, this is why we can put a different label on death. What kind of death did Jesus die? Yes, a physical death, yes. And what else? Because that's true. But there was another kind. What? Painful death. Yes, it was painful. That's true. Yeah, he endured a spiritual death. He died in body and soul because he was punished with the second death. He took hell. And that is an eternal death. That's actual death. So again, death would have no consequence if it wasn't for the punishment, right? But the the sting of death is sin. And the reason why it's a sting is because what do we deserve? We We deserve an eternal punishment. So when it says Jesus tasted death, he didn't just taste death by dying physically. That is part of it. But he died both physically and spiritually by enduring the second death. Jesus took hell completely. So all sin was punished. 
And that's why he can truly say, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken. Completely. That's right. That's right. If it was just a Christian death, he would have no reason to be in pain or in suffering in the same way. Right? But he was enduring the wrath of God. All right. Verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. So all things are made for him, and all things are made through him. And bringing many sons to glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, how do you make Jesus perfect? What does that mean? Well, yeah, that, so that's why he died. You're right. But, but what does it mean that Jesus became perfect? Now, let, let me put it this way. Um, what, here, what's, what are other ways to say perfect? Blameless. Blameless, yeah. Without what? Sin. Complete, without sin. Yeah, right. Okay, good. All, all those are good. And, and I think probably the best of them, it, because our, our version of perfect sometimes means sinless and blameless. Um, But it can also mean complete. So if we take it this way, how did Jesus complete our salvation? Right, right. And, And so when it says he was made perfect through his sufferings, it means he completed his work. Okay? They be, they were now perfected. And, and if they're complete, is there anything, what's left for Christians to do? Yeah, nothing, nothing for their salvation. So then what are we doing here? What are we doing? What? Yeah, right. And what is his will for Christians? Okay, yeah, to receive baptism, yeah, and then to go out into all the world. That's true. Um, but let's, let's get closer to the text. What, was it, what is his will in chapter 2 for Christians? Mm, yeah, to bring him glory. That's true. What? Yeah. Yeah, to be made holy. And how does that happen according to chapter 2? Did someone say it? I, I missed it. Chapter 2, verse 1. And 2. How does it happen? What? You what? By paying attention to the things you heard. That's it. And this is how it happens. That he has perfected the work. Now there's nothing left to be done like you said. So you can't get to heaven because you do good stuff. You can't get to heaven because you're, uh, you are a good person. You only get to heaven by Jesus okay, and through his sufferings. So he made him perfect, the author of our salvation, perfect through suffering. Um, all right, so in verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified 
uh, are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Now, where is Jesus from? We know this from chapter 1, so don't, don't get too, too caught up in the complication. Where is Jesus from? Yeah, from the Father, right? He's the exact imprint of the Father, right? He's the Son of God, begotten of His Father, before all worlds, God of God, light of light. Okay, so that's where He's from. And now where are we from? What? Yeah, we're, well, okay, that's true, that's true. So, but this is about those who are being sanctified. So, now, you're right, there are two senses of this. Um, God is the Father because He creates everything. So, so in that way, he's the father of all, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, right? Is he, can an unbeliever pray our father? Can an unbeliever pray our father who are in heaven? No, they're not, the, they're not his son. Not yet. But the day you're baptized is the day that you can pray that prayer. So when you pray our Father, that's the common source. You have one source in Christ. And this is the astonishing thing is before God had made us and he formed Adam and we were in his image. But now the the new Adam forms us a different way. How does he form us? How does Jesus form us out of the dust? I'm sorry? Flesh of flesh and bone of bone. Uh, fl- right. Okay, good. You're, you're, you're getting close. From his flesh. From his flesh, yeah. I was going to say, he spoke it. Yeah. And, and you said it earlier, actually, because uh, you're right. He spoke it and go and make disciples. So really what he's saying is go and attach everyone to me. Let them be born of me. Let them be born anew. How? By water and the word, by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey or observe. I like observe better. All that I have commanded you. So it's, again, but that's not exciting. Right? How many times do you darn Lutherans say word and sacrament, right? Um, Well, there's a reason. Because it, it really is true. And it's worth our time and attention time and time again. And that's why, okay, so going back to chapter 2, why, why would someone need to tell you this? Um, we must give more earnest heed. We must pay more attention to the things we've heard. Why, why is he saying that? Why does someone tell you that? Because you're not doing it. <laughs> you're not paying attention. Or you're getting tired, right? Oh, gosh, okay. Yeah, I know, pastor's reformation. He's saying a mighty fortress again. And it's very the same, right? But we are prone to be bored by glory and excited by banal amusement. And not to pick on football fans. (laughs) But are you as excited about watching the game as you are when you come on Sunday? All right, now 
that that hurt enough. Um, <laughs> and, and this is this is good, but but you notice what our human hearts are prone to do. They are liars from our birth. If you cling to your heart, there is a proverb that is very clear. If you listen to your heart, what happens? If you listen to your heart, what will happen to you? The Proverbs say you are worse than a fool. You are worse than a fool. Because your heart speaks folly. And at least if a fool may hear something outside of himself. But if all you're paying attention to is your own heart, you will be led astray every time. So you have to have someone, something, speaking to you outside of you that tells you the truth, that tells you what you should be excited about so that your heart can feel sorrow and you can put out your flaming couch and then you can... (laughs) Sorry, it was on the news. They're burning couches. I guess that's the only thing college students have. So... Um, but uh, but you, you can then redirect your attention and you can hear the, the author of Hebrews slapping you over the side of the head and saying, pay attention. Right? Um, and, and again, he's telling us the reason why it doesn't, why we don't have the excitement. Right? Because it's suffering. Because our flesh is evil and we are full of evil. And so of course we get excited about things that are amusements and we don't get excited about things that are absolute eternal glory. Things that the angels long to look into, who are higher and smarter than us. And yet we're content with watching YouTube, right? Um, so this then is, is why Christ came, so that he could suffer evil. He could suffer our evil. And then the depth of his suffering... Now we too will feel great sorrow and guilt. Like Tony confessing his sin of wanting to watch the, MU, the MSU game you know, more than come to Wednesday service or something. Um, no, but, but again, th- that is in all of us. There is no sin that is not common to mankind. And so Christ came to die for all sin, for mine and yours. And that's why he took on flesh. It's why he tasted death. So that we would know the depth of our own sorrow. Okay. Um, but this is the astonishing thing. That Christ, who never felt that way, who was never distracted, who always held the word of God, listen to what he calls us in verse 12. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Jesus humbles himself and makes him the, himself the same as you. And that, that should just, that mystery cannot be unpacked enough. That God would choose to become flesh and then choose to die for poor, sorry sinners who hate him. It's, it's a mystery. Um, so, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. 
Right, here is the answer. Why the incarnation? Why does Jesus take on flesh? And what do you think? Based on this verse, what do we believe? Why did Jesus become man? Yes, right? It's right there. That through death he may destroy him who had the power of death. Now, this is sort of a strange trajectory because normally we would think, okay, he destroys death in us. But he destroys the devil. What does it mean that he destroyed the devil? How did he do that? Because, I mean, is the devil, well, first I'll ask, is the devil still around? But then why does he say that? Okay, good. And what was the devil's power? Yeah, okay, good. Distraction and deception. But that can't yet send us to hell. Well, even if the devil killed a believer, are they in hell? So there's, there's another power that Satan had that he could use against us that would send us to hell. What, what sends us to hell? Our own sin, right? That's it, our own sin. So then what can Satan do? He points it out, right? He's an accuser. That's actually what the name Satan means, to accuse. And so his power is gone now because look what he does. Okay, Tony, you're a sinner. Now what can you say? Yeah, right. I don't have sin. I don't have sin. Because Jesus does. He took my sin. Right? Now he has no power. And the more that the devil afflicts you, and this is the greatest part, the more you know your sin, what do you have as more and more comfort? Yeah, the Savior. Right? Yeah, and you have Christ. The, the, the worse you feel about your sin the more comfort you have because Christ took him away. This is what Jesus does with the woman who wipes his feet. You remember she comes in, she wipes his feet with her tears, and Jesus told a parable, right, of two men who owed. One owed 500, the other 50, I think. Um, and who, both of them were forgiven, right, of their debt. Which one will love more? The one who owed 500, right? And this is the same with sin. The more you know your sin, the more thankful you are that Christ took it. So, the, so now he's, he's reversed all Satan's work. The more he accuses you, who is he driving you to? The more he drives you to Jesus, right? So now the, the, the more you feel your guilt and your sin, the more you run to Christ and pray to him for mercy, right? So the one tool that Satan had, Jesus just made his greatest defeat. And now death itself rips you from his hands. So the thing that was supposed to be the power of, of sin, which is death, now becomes the power of Jesus. He reverses the entire thing. All right. Um, let's go uh, verse 15. And... Okay, so he starts, hey baby, 
Um, all right, so that through death, so I'm going to start at verse 14 because it continues after that. That through death he might destroy him with the power of death, that is the devil. So that's number one, right? He destroys the devil. And so that, that doesn't mean the devil doesn't exist anymore, but he might as well not exist because his power is all gone. He's a vanquished king, right? And so this is why he, it says he is destroyed, okay? Uh, and release those. So now this is the second part. He destroys the devil and he releases those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Right? So why is fear of death bondage? Why is that equated? What does the fear of death do to you? Yeah, what, what, what does it mean to be a slave because you're afraid of death? How does that happen in your everyday life? You're unsure of your salvation. Well, okay, that's eternal death. Yeah, right? Uh, so, so maybe you, you sort of are panicking about your, your eternal death. Um, well, how else do we express our fear of death? You worry about it. What are all your anxieties about? Ultimately about things that could eventually lead you to die, right? Or for others to die. So our anxieties are mainly built on death, right? I'm afraid to get sick. I'm afraid that my loved one's going to die. I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough. Well, enough of what, right? Well, enough food. Okay, well, why do you need food? Well, because you need to live, right? Fear of death drives everything. And ultimately, it's the one fear that makes us slaves, and that's what he's equating to. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you from Luther because this, this one point, I think, um, if, we can get, if you can get this right, uh, I, I think it will be very helpful and encouraging to you. So this is, this is Luther. He's commenting on this particular passage that Christ has now released us from the fear of death. He who fears death or is unwilling to die is not a Christian to a sufficient degree. For those who fear death still lack faith in the resurrection, since they love this life more than they love the life to come. Oh, ouch. Okay. Um, So, but he goes on. Okay, it gets better. Uh, Properly speaking, they are those about whom Psalm 106 speaks. So this is those who are afraid of death. They despise the pleasant land. He who does not die willingly should not be called a Christian. Therefore, Chrysostom, with reference to this passage censures those who mourn the dead. He says, those who truly deserve to be mourned are those who still fear death and shudder, who still do not believe in the resurrection. Therefore, when such people pray, thy kingdom come, they either do not pray at all or they pray against themselves. That is, they mock both God and themselves and they have been baptized in vain. Since according to what the apostle says in Romans 6, as many of us as are baptized, as many of us as are baptized into the death of Christ, are certainly baptized to accept death quickly and to attain the image of Christ more quickly. But you might say, I do not fear death, but I do fear an evil death, because the death of sinners is the worst, and evil shall destroy the unrighteous man. But he who says this proves clearly that he is deficient in faith in Christ. For he does not believe that Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away his sins. For the less firmly this is believed, the more death is feared. And the more firmly it is believed, the more confidently death is despised. 
For it is true that only the awareness of sin makes death dreadful, because sin is the sting of death. But only faith in Christ removes the awareness of sin, for the victory has been given to us through Christ Jesus. As stated above, for God makes death, judgment, and hell manifest in order to show the power of faith in Christ, so that a Christian may overcome these through faith. For these dreadful things are nothing else than exercises through which faith may become strong as death and hard as hell. Although they try vigorously with might and violence to separate the heart from trust in Christ. Therefore, when Christ had foretold dreadful signs in Luke 21, he immediately added the following words for the strengthening of faith. Now, when these things begin to take place, look up and raise your heads in order that these things might be overcome through faith. For if death is feared on account of sin, it should be desired much more on account of sins because death alone puts an end to sin and slays it. So our reaction as Christians should be the opposite. We actually should want what? To die. That should be our hope and our goal. And yet the problem is We cling to the things of this life because why? Why do we do that? Why do we cling to the things of this life? You what? They give us pleasure, yeah. And we can see them, right? It's easy. It's, It's stuff I can touch and feel. I know because I can see it. But ultimately then, who am I trusting? The world, yeah, that's one of them, right? I trust what the world says. Who else am I trusting if I'm relying on only the things I can see? Myself, right? I am the source. And is that not the original sin? I desire to be like God. And so now we have to rely on a word that seems like it's not even true. Now, of course, that's because I'm lost in deception, right? But again, if someone is blind and they tell you there is no such thing as light, how can you convince them? Either they'll have to trust you or they will never believe. So again, it it seems harsh to say something like uh, those who do not, uh, those who do not, who are afraid of death should not even be called Christian. And yet, It's true because why is anyone afraid of death? You might say because you weren't created to die. Yes. Yes, that's true. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, so so one aspect is we were not created to die. And that's that's absolutely true. Um, But, but... Why then, um, well, first of all, why did death come about? We'll go that direction. So, so you're right. We weren't created that way. Why did it come about? Yes. This is, the, this is the one thing God promised would happen. If you eat of that tree, you will die. And not just once, but forever. So the whole man, body and soul, would die. So then... The only way to reverse the fear is what? Our hope, our, like our hope in Christ, 
Yes, okay, it is, yeah, right. Yeah, we have hope. But what is the substance of our hope? So again, take the, take the line of thought of sin, right, uh, and death. What is the cause of death? Sin. And why is sin the cause of death? Why is sin the cause of death? What? Yeah. And, and so, so, then, so then, because sometimes I think we, 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 we think, well, they, they took of the tree and the nature of the tree is what killed them. But that's not what brought death. Who brings death? God does. It's a punishment. Death is a punishment. So the cause of death is sin, but the cause of, uh, of death through sin is God's punishment. God is punishing sin. That's the point of death. So then how do you get rid of death? Well, that's true. That's the, that's the actor. But through sin, right? To get rid of it. And the more then that you get rid of sin, the more confident you become that death has no power over you, right? So then, the, so the, the more you are aware, the, the more that you, the weaker your faith is, the more your fear of death increases, because why? Why would that happen? If you're thinking of like the tear tug, what? Yeah, right, you're not paying attention, and therefore you're not aware of Christ doing what? Taking away your sin, right? So then the more aware you are of sin without forgiveness. And so then, of course, you're going to fear death, because you fear punishment, because you don't, you don't have any comfort, but the stronger your faith is, the more aware you are that Christ is what? He's taking what? He's taking your sin. The one thing that would drown you, the one thing that would kill you. And so if you have no sin, do you die? No. No. Jesus goes so far to say you fall asleep. Right? Because we are, death is the separation of the body and the soul. Okay, so yes, I guess you could say you die, but your death has become no death because it, it's not a punishment. Right now, what does your death do? <laughs> it's a reward, right? Yes! I have made it into glory, and now I will wait in glory until what? The resurrection, right? Again, the, these words are quite amazing. Um, he says, uh, those who truly deserve to be mourned are those who still fear death and shudder, who still do not believe in the resurrection. So we believe in the resurrection. It, there, this is just a pause for us, a glorious pause where we go to be with Christ until he does the rest of what he said. Now we can't see it which makes it very uncomfortable for our flesh. But if we don't fear death, what is left to fear? There's nothing. There's nothing left. Again, we, we don't have anything to be afraid of. And this is why uh, the COVID was a great test for us. Because it should strengthen our faith. 
that here is where we receive eternal life. Why would we ever avoid it? And if we do avoid it, what are we avoiding? Forgiveness? That's the thing that takes death away. So we already had a cure, but we had to be convinced of that. You know, and, 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 and we are now, I think. I think we're in a much better place now because we've gone through a lot of struggles. All of us have had to come to grips with death more than probably we ever had before. And we've had to come to grips with how serious we are about our vocations. Are we still going to do our job? Are we still going to go see our mothers and fathers? Are we still going to go and serve our children? Are we still going to go and do the work that God's given us? What confidence do we have? We have Christ. And so, again, the, the practicality of this is that this is every day. When you wake up in the morning to when you go to sleep at night, you don't have to fear death. You have comfort and strength in Christ. All right, well, we better close because otherwise people are going to walk through. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us as we who are weak and many times our faith falters and we fear death. Help us to cling to you once again, to repent of clinging to the world so that we might receive your forgiveness and the confidence that your Son brings us. In Jesus' name, amen.